Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are ours. And that, Lord, we are yours. It's not just a matter that you are here to serve us, but that you are here to love us. That you bought us with the price of Calvary. Lord, may you turn our hearts now to you. That we may hear from your word. That we may experience you from the words that you have given to us. Change us now, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning I come to you and I want to go ahead and give you a warning and a precursor to the sermon that I'm about to deliver. I want you to notice that in this world of math and in the world of writing, seven comes after six. How many would agree with that? Somebody say amen. Seven comes after six. Okay, so we're all in agreement. Seven comes after six. Last week we were in chapter, what? Six. This week we're in chapter seven. I want to say that because what we will be discussing and looking at today in His Word is not directed at any one person. It's not directed at any one particular thing. But it's because it comes next. And in the faithfulness of Scripture and doing what God's called me to do, I must address what's in chapter 7. So I want you to give me a little grace today and pray for me because this sermon is not something that's simple. It's not something that I will typically be preaching. It's not something that you'll typically be hearing, especially from churches today. But this morning, because of God's call on my life, I must address what we find in chapter 7. I'd love to stand up here and tell you about the walls of Jericho falling down again like I did last week. If you missed last week's sermon, you can go back and pick that up. It's on our website. We podcast it. It's on on, on many platforms. But today, we're going to be talking about chapter 7. So long as we live in this world... As long as we have a breath in our body, we will not escape suffering and temptation. Suffering and temptation will be something we will all in this room encounter. If you're breathing today, whether you've got a mask on or not, if you're breathing, would you just raise your hand and admit, I'm going to deal with suffering and temptation all the days of my life. See, we're all in this together. It's something common that we all have together. There is no state of holiness. There is no place so secret that temptations will not follow us. Temptations are real. Temptations are around us. Temptations do not simply come from the TV or our phone, but they come from within us. A temptation's power only has its power because it is birthed within us, not from outside of us and what we think the temptation truly is. So no matter where we go, no matter how long we live, it's going to be something we deal with. So what do we do? Man is not safe from this. Nor is woman, nor is boy, nor is child. So today we come. When one temptation passes... I can assure you, another one will come. So maybe today you've been dealing with temptations a long time. Maybe you've been dealing with sin for for several years or several weeks and there's been something on your mind or on your heart and you just feel like there's just no way out. There's no escape. Can I tell you this? There is victory, but do not believe the lie that one day you're going to not have to worry about temptation. Not while you're breathing on this earth. One day when we meet Jesus face to face, no more temptation, no more sin. But until then, how do we live in a world filled with the flesh and temptations and find victory in our walk with Jesus Christ? Well, I believe we can peer into chapter 7 today and learn quite a bit. Peer into the life of a man who will teach us some things about temptation and sin. And we will learn something about God. And more importantly, we're going to learn about each one of us, male or female, young or old. 
little by little, in patience and long-suffering and dependence on God Himself, will we be able to find victory in temptation. Today, we come to a place where the children of Israel, they have crossed the Jordan, they have uh, gone to Jericho, they have seen the walls of Jericho fall down. They have experienced great victory. They are coming off off of a high. Man, look what God has done. He did something that only He can do. He tore down walls that's as wide as a two-lane highway and as tall as this building or taller. But what happens at, on the tail end of a victory can be very dangerous. Chuck Swindoll said this, God's people are never more vulnerable or in danger than right after they win a great victory. Why is that, Pastor? Because we live in the flesh. We are living in a world and in a body where we can experience victory today and tomorrow be staring defeat face to face. We can never get so haughty in our thinking that because we've won victory today, we've got it made. One of the things that I'm reminded of, because I'm engulfed right now in football during football season with my son, is whenever I have seen the football team go out and play and play against a team that they should have been, been that they should have lost to and they play really well and they beat them. Man, there is like excitement jumping. There is uh, they're just elated. But you know what happens? It goes to their head. And from their head it moves to their heart. From their heart, it moves to their hands. And the next time they go out there, they're going out there cocky. All these guys, they ain't nothing. We got them. We got them whipped. We got them licked. See, what happens is on the tail of victory, we start taking the credit for something God did and we forget who we truly are. Somebody say amen. I mean, we've all been there, right? I mean, we've all been into the place where we have forgotten who He is and what He done and we put it all on on us and said, look at what Happen, man, I'm something. So we must be careful. The children of Israel are coming off of a great victory where the walls of Jericho just came falling down after they obeyed God, did exactly what He said. It made no sense. They walked in faith and the walls fell and they went in and took the city. So we come to chapter 7 and we find that there's an introduction in chapter 7 that seems odd and strange. Verse 1, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. God had told them some things that they should not touch and take for themselves. That it should go into the treasury of the Lord. That it should be used for something else. Don't take this to your house. Don't stick it in your pocket. You put it over here. So for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. How many people, this is a pop quiz, how many people in verse 1 does it say did not do what God told them to do? How many? How many? One. You're you're exactly right. It says one person did not do what God had said, but do you realize what it says here, the very beginning of this verse, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully, and the end of it says, the sons of Israel. The Lord's anger burned against the sons of Israel. Not just one, but the whole nation. Well, that seems unfair, Pastor. I'm glad you feel that way. Because we're going to discuss that. So what happens here after verse 1 is Joshua coming off this win, this victory. He thinks, man, we got this. So I'm going to send a couple spies up here to Ai. It's a village. We just took a big, strong city. So I'm going to just send some spies over here to this village that's up on, on this mountain here. It's a smaller village. Send them up there. Let them come back. Let's see what we need to do. They come back. They say, look, look, Joshua, this city's so small. This village, we don't have to send you know, 30,000 men. Let's just send three. It'll be all right. 3,000 men can take this city. It's no problem. They're going to be a pushover. It's going to be easy. Now, 
they send these men up there. 3,000 men, they go up to Ai. Verse 4, so about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. Why? The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them down on the descent to the hearts of the people, melted and became as water. For those of you who have been tracking along with the series, if you remember, the people in Jericho were described as their courage and their hearts had melted because they were so afraid of the children of Israel. But now we see the children of Israel hearts turn to be just like them because when they went to do something, they found defeat on the heels of a great victory. So what caused this? Was it pride? Was it, was it because they didn't think through it very well? Well, I can tell you this one thing. Do not miss this. You may want to underline this in your Bible. You may want to circle it. This is important. They sent up 3,000 men, and in verse 5 it said, Ai struck down 36 men. Every one of them were precious and had value, and they had a life. All 36 of their, those men were sons probably husbands, every one of them were important. And 36 men lost their life because one man decided to sin against God. Where is that fair? Where is that fair, Pastor? Well, let's keep going. Verse 6, we find that Joshua tears his clothes because when he finds out that, that these men had died, and that his men ran in fear and they were scared to death. He tears his clothes and he falls down and he begins to, to weep and cry out to God. And he says this, Alas, O Lord, verse 7, God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan? Only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. If only, if only we had been willing to, to dwell beyond the Jordan. My Bible's got an exclamation point there. He is crying out. Oh Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? What can I say now that we've run away from them like scaredy cats? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua's tore up. You know what I realized this morning when I was reading back through, through this scripture? Guess where Joshua was pointing the finger as to the problem. He fell on his face and said, God, this is your fault. This is your fault. You, you brought us over here and you're not delivering us? How dare you? This is going to hurt your name. It's, it's going to hurt our name. We're going to die now because you didn't show up. But let's not stop there. Let's check out verse number 10. Because the Lord begins to speak to Joshua. And the Lord says to Joshua, Rise up! Exclamation point. You know what he's saying? Get up, stop praying, and get on your feet. Stop the blame game. I'm about to tell you something. He says, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Circle those two words because this is important. When it comes to sin, it doesn't stop with just one. I'm going to just confess right here before all of you. Last night was Halloween. My wife put a big old bowl of candy on the middle of the dining room table. We had supper, Mr. Dove, and right there was this candy, just chocolate and peanut butter. And I reached over, and in my mind and in my heart, you know what I said? I'm going to have just one. I need to lose some weight. I'm going to have just one. Well, I want you to know when I got done, I had a plate full of wrappers. I didn't have one. I had multiple ones. That's what happens to sin. You start with just one, and it begins to grow. 
And it begins to grow. And it gets bigger and bigger. I want to talk about the real truth this morning. The real truth about temptation, about sin, what we can see here. That says a lot about God, about us, about this situation. And we can find this in verses 10 through 13. That God is aware of all things done in secret. Write this down in your notes. God is aware of all things done in secret. All of them. Nothing is hidden from him. See, this guy Achan, he did this thing. Joshua didn't even know about it. Do you understand? Joshua, the leader, had no idea this had gone on. He was completely clueless. That's why he goes to God and he says, God, what in the world is happening here? He's saying, why did you ever bring us over here? Why, Why is this happening? So we find Joshua's unaware and God reveals something to him. It says, Israel has sinned. Someone has taken this stuff that I've said not to take. So as we look at this, the nation as a whole suffered because of one man's sin. And what did he do? He hid it. He kept it secret. Hey, nobody's going to know. No one sees it. I mean, really? The IRS doesn't care. They got enough money. Nobody knows. Ain't going to hurt a soul. Adam and Eve said the same thing after they sinned. Let's go hide. When God came calling in the garden and began to say, Adam, where are you? Shh, don't say nothing. Maybe he'll think we're somewhere else. Adam, where are you? Well, we're over here. Why are you hiding? Well, it's because of you. You gave me this woman and she messed up. You don't believe me? Go back and read Genesis. That's exactly what Adam said. I'm just breaking it down like it's real here, okay? Adam blamed God for the woman that he gave him as the problem and said, God, it's your fault. But he was hiding. We want to hide behind God messing up sometimes, don't we? Say it's his fault. It's not his fault. See, it was a choice that Eve and Adam made. And by the way, before we get all high and mighty, guys, Adam was standing right there with Eve the whole time the conversation was going on in Genesis about the whole fruit and you should take it, what God said and what He didn't say. Adam stood right there and kept his mouth shut. So we're all guilty. We're all guilty. But they hid. Achan is hiding. David, when he sinned and he committed adultery, He tried to hide his sin through corruption and through seeing the man die so nobody will know. Hey, you know what? People will just think that's his baby. He refused to go in and sleep with his own wife. So then he said, goodness, I can't have this coming out. So put him out there. That way he'll die in battle. See, his one sin led to more sins that leads to more sins. If you think the little thing you're doing is not affecting other things and it's secret and it's not hurting, that's the lie. The lie is simply that this ain't going to hurt nobody. It's too little. Let me tell you, sin births more sin until sin consumes you and takes a bite out of your soul until you no longer even know who you are and God is. So we must... Be careful, but hold on to the truth that God is aware of all things done in secret. You can fool your coach, you can fool your teacher, you can fool your husband and your wife. You'll never fool God. Second thing is that the spiritual impacts the physical. What happened in verses 2 through 9? Let me tell you what happened. One man sinned. 36 men lost their life, and a whole nation suffered. The spiritual act of disobedience affected the physical world in which they were living. I want to declare to you today the real truth. The spiritual affects the physical. So many people will tell you today in 2020 that you can separate the two. You can have your physical world and your, 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 your culture and your values and beliefs over here. And you can have your faith over here on this side. And the two do not have to become one. Let me tell you, if that's the case, you're lost and going to hell. Let me just throw it out there, okay? 
It is only when your faith becomes one with who you are that it affects everything you think and do in your values that you are on your way to heaven because you have become a child of God. If you're not a child of God, you can compartmentalize stuff like that. But when you're His child, you can't do it. So we find here that the spiritual impacted the physical. A defeat came on the heels of victory because of, not because of a lack of planning, not because of a lack of faith, not because of a lack of obedience on Joshua's part, right? He was obeying. He was taking the land that God had given him. But on the sin of one man in the camp who refused to obey God and listen to his leaders. The lie is what I do in private, what my shortcomings are, It's my business and it hurts nobody. Listen very clearly if you don't get anything else. That is a lie from Satan. What you do in private affects you, it affects your family, it affects your community, and it affects this world. Well, how can that be, Pastor? Well, the thing is... Let me just point something out to you. Could it be that you can't see it because you're so blinded because of the sin that you're involved in that you can't see how it's affecting everyone and how it's affecting you? I'm here to tell you some truth today. That's what God's called me to do. And I'm here to tell you that the spiritual impacts the physical. How many people have lost their families because of sin? How many people have lost their marriages because of gluttonous spending of money or gluttonous looking at pornography or or other women. Let me tell you something. Today, sin brings about death. Black and white. I don't care whether it's private or public. It will bring about death. 36 men lost their their lives. There There were wives. There were children who no longer had a father because one man thought, this ain't hurting nobody. But did it hurt somebody? 36 families would never be the same because of one man's choice to say, this won't hurt nobody. Achan thought he had gotten away with it. Achan thought it would just be, it would be fine. But I want us to read verses 12 and 13. This is God still speaking to Joshua. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. I want to assure you today, this message is not about your salvation. It's not about the security of of you being a child of God. It's about your current relationship with Him. And if you are living in sin and you think you've got it hidden, let me tell you something. You're not going to be able to stand before your enemies. Not because you're not smart or God doesn't care, but because you have decided to turn your back on Him. Wait a minute, Pastor. I haven't turned my back on God. In this situation, can't you imagine some people would say, Oh, God turned His back on the children of Israel. He should have delivered them. Those 36 men shouldn't have lost their lives because of one man. God didn't turn His back Achan turned his back on God. He said, what you said doesn't matter. I trust my flesh and what I want more than what you have said. When there is sin in the camp, you can expect defeat to follow. I'm going to say it again. When there is sin in the camp, you can expect defeat to follow. Now, I'm not saying every defeat, every problem, every trouble that comes into your life is because of sin. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, if there is sin in your camp, then you can expect these things to happen. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when there's sin in your life and you go outside and your car's broke down for the third time in one week. You know what that is? That's a loving God saying, Would you please turn back to me? Would you please stop rebelling and come back to your loving Father? A loving parent will not let their children run amok in rebellion. If we did that, we would have no order in our society. If our mom and dads had not straightened us up, if my mom had not 
jerk me up and straighten me up, I'd be a mess. It was because she loved me that she'd correct me. It's because God loves us that He will let that car tear up three times in one week because He's trying to get our attention and say, I love you so much, I can't let you continue in the sin and in the life you're living. When there is sin in the camp, expect a defeat, a problem, trouble to follow. Let's read verses 12 and 13. Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore. Thanks be unto God, there's not a period in my Bible right there. I hope yours has this next word. Unless you. God didn't just simply say, that's it. Boop, I'm done with you. Writing you off. Whoop, just push you off the list. God didn't say that. The next word was, unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Other words, let me put it in the vernacular you can understand. Do something about it. Unless you do something about the sin in your life, do not expect God's blessing on your life. We cry out and we pray, God, bless me. Bring me this. Fix this. Stop this. Would you just make everything right in my life? But I'm going to go over here in the closet and I'm going to live like I want it. I'm going to keep my sin in my closet. And you expect God to bless you? God forbid. We are called to live at a different ideal than our culture. To the culture, it doesn't matter. But to God, it does. So we must understand the biblical idea of that you reap what you sow. If you are reaping sin, if you're, if you're reaping bad things, you need to look at what you're sowing. Because if you're sowing sin, you're going to reap bad things. But if you sow good things, if you sow holiness and righteousness, God's going to bring His blessing and favor. So make sure you under, hear me right. What you sow, you will reap. You sow. Maybe even there are times when you can't even hear from God. But keep sowing. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Because you're going to reap. You're going to reap. And it's going to be a bountiful harvest. But if you keep sowing to sin, you're going to keep reaping from that same seed that you're putting out there. See, when we sow seeds... We typically put them in the ground. There's a few things you just scatter on top of the ground. And you know what normally happens? The birds comes and eats them. But when you sow seeds, you put them under the ground. You can't see them. And then soon you have a harvest. See, what we do is we take these, these seeds of sin and we hide them away. But I love what happens because God, God talks to Joshua, tells Joshua, listen. For the second time in verse 13, he says, rise up. Exclamation point. God's saying, get up, stop praying, get off your knees and do something. And he gives him a plan. He says, consecrate yourself, consecrate the people, and here's what you need to do. Get in tune with me, and you're going to bring people before you, these different uh, tribes, these different families, and I'm going to show you who it is. God could have just flat out just said, Joshua, it's Achan. And here's what he took. But instead, God gave him a directive to obey so that he would not fall victim to sin himself. He obeys, and God shows him who it is. What's beautiful is in verse 16, we find that Achan is standing before Joshua, and he says, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. He admitted, I messed up. I did wrong. So here's a warning I want us to see in this verse, verse 20 of chapter 7. This is, this is good stuff. If you don't have something to write with, you need to get something to write with or something to write on because this is good. What we see right here is the essence of our nature, is the essence of sin and temptation. If you want to find victory, let's look at what Achan says happened. Verse 20, he says, When I saw... Circle that. Highlight that. Do something. This is important. Here's the warning. Here's the danger. Number one, I saw. He says, I saw. Number one, first thing, I saw. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, 
He says, I looked and I saw something beautiful. I looked and man, it looked good. See, it began where, guys? With the eyes. And it moved to the mind. The eyes and the mind are the portals into our souls. What we see, what we listen to, what we think is the portal into our soul. Notice he says, I saw among the spoils. I saw some stuff there. I saw it was beautiful. Here is the secret to overcoming. You want to know the secret? I know we always like the microwavable solutions. We want to know the secret of how to be a great basketball player, the secret to be a great football player, the secret to being a great husband or a great wife. I'm about to give you the secret to winning the victory over temptation. Here's the secret. The victory is found in the very beginning, not in the end. Right here is where victory and defeat is found. The response to what we see and what we think and what we hear is will determine most times whether we're going to find victory or not. We cannot wait till we're deep into the battle to think we're going to find victory. We cannot start fighting when we have been in this battle now for two hours of whether we should do it or not. We have got to take action in the very beginning. If Achan, when he saw it, if he had taken action at that moment and just, guys, bounced his eyes and looked somewhere else... If he had just stepped away, if he had just moved over, if he had just said, excuse me, gentlemen, let me go over here, there would be a victory in his life. But yet, he saw it. And I guarantee you, I was not there, but I bet he kept looking. He dwelled. Kept his eyes there. Then he started, you know what else he did with his eyes? Started looking around. Yeah, nobody's looking. Just going to go right over here, stuff it in my pouch. I'm not going to take it where God has told me to take it. I'm going to take it home. But he says, here's what I did. I saw the spoil. Now come on down in verse 20. Then I coveted. See the order there? He saw it, began to think about it, and it moved from his head to what? His heart. He began to covet to want, to desire. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, desire begins with your eyes and your ears and your mind. You fight the battle on the front end and you'll find victory. He said, I coveted. Thomas A. Kempis said, The longer a man delays in resisting, so much the weaker does he become each day, while the strength of the enemy grows against him. In other words, he's saying... You need to fight the battle on the front end and do it quickly. The third thing he did, not only did he see, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. It moved from his, his head, his eyes, his mind, to his heart, and then into his hands. He took them. He said, I saw it, then I wanted it, and then I took it. That's what happens. If you want to stop your hands from sinning, start with your eyes and your mind and your ears. Don't start with your hands. Don't start by, by laying down your phone and walking the other way. Start with your eyes and your ears and your mind. That's where the real problem is. It's not your phone. You can put all the, the, the stuff on your phone you want to protect you, but until you deal with your eyes, your ears, and your mind, your heart is going to follow. So you have to deal with that. He saw. He coveted. He took it. And look. And behold, they are concealed in the earth in my tent. He hid it. Achan's not much different than any of us, is he? He saw it. Hmm. He dwelt on it. Then he began to want it. Then he reached out with his hands and he took it. Then he hid it. I don't want nobody to know about this. I'll just keep it. Who's it going to hurt? Who is it going to hurt? Let me tell you, ignorance is not bliss 
Because ignorance will send you to hell. I'm just going to put it out there black and white today. We can be blinded by temptation. We can rationalize. We can think that we've got this thing figured out and we'll be all right. But I believe the Bible says, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality in our life. Not even a hint. God's standard is not measured by the culture. So let me give you some hope today. Because temptation, it will blind us. And the pain that sin causes will last longer than we really want it to last. It will cause some things that Ajax won't even take off. We can rationalize all we want. But until we commit to God's word, we're going to find ourselves living in a world of sin. But we don't have to. There's hope today. There's hope. Let me give you the hope. I don't want to just leave you with this idea that, hey, we're all suffering and we're looking at uh, uh, Achan here and this sin and it's a mess. As a matter of fact, as you read on, his sin results in his own death and the death of his family, the death of his belongings. There's a truth in that. Your sin, whatever it is, like I said, when I began this message, it's not directed at anybody. It may not be directed at anybody in this room or anybody watching right now. But there's somebody who's got a sin that you think nobody knows about. Here's the hope. My sins does not have to define who I am. It does not have to define me. My sins don't have to define me because I can be defined by Jesus Christ. If you have messed up, if, you, if God has brought something to your mind that you're doing that, that is a little sketchy, the Lord just laid something on my heart to say, and I'm not sure who, who this is for. Here we go. If you're doing something in your life that you cannot bring right up here in front of this church and put it on this altar for the world to see and for God to see. If you can't do it right here in this room, why do you think it's okay for you to do it when you're not in this room? Sin is sin. There's no rationalization around what God has said a lie is or stealing. See, I don't know people's motives. I don't know why they give. If you give and you tithe so other people will look at you and you'll get puffed up in pride, that is sin. But pastor, I'm giving to the church. It's sin if you're giving it so that you can puff up in pride. That's not worship. Keep your dirty money. Pastor just said for me not to give, only if it's sin. I don't know your motive. Why are you not giving? Why are you not giving to the church as God has asked us to give? That's between you and God. Why do we not serve? Why do we not come to church? Is it really because of COVID or just simply because there's a better option? This is not an easy sermon for me. I don't like to preach like this. But it's a truth that we must deliver today. People must know that sin is real and it's serious. The reason this man was stoned is to let us know, God Himself, I take sin serious. But thanks be unto God, He takes it so serious that He gave us a hope and a solution. My sins do not have to define me because of Jesus. See, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Somebody might need to write that down because this is important for you to remember. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have not gone too far. Your sin is not too secret. It hasn't caused too much damage for God not to forgive you, to cleanse you, and to make you holy and righteous. Jesus' blood is sufficient for whatever you've done or wherever you've been. He can change your life. It's only through Christ and the identity you receive when He is your Savior that you can walk in victory. It's not going to be because of reading a book. It's going to simply be because of Jesus. So I'm telling you today, you must be born again. This visual came to my mind today. Right here is a stone. And as you finish up reading chapter 7, you're going to read how Joshua brought... Achan, 
his children, his animals, everything to a valley called Achor. And they took stones and stoned the man and his children and all of his belongings to death. I can't imagine what it must have been like as a man to see your children suffering because of your own sin. Sin is serious. God takes it serious, but thanks be unto God, there is a hope. This man was stoned to death with stones, and they piled up stones to remind people of that. But I got to thinking this morning, hearing this story, that a stone meant death, but because of the death of Jesus Christ, this stone means victory. He overcame sin, death, and the hell. He conquered sin completely. Even though we've messed up, there is a stone that got rolled away so, so that death could come forth, that we could walk in victory. This is the message the world needs. It doesn't need a result on November the 3rd to save this world. This world needs the message of Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross, that He rose from the dead, the stone was rolled away so we would not have to be stoned and die because of our sin. That's the message our world needs to hear because until they hear it and accept it, there is no hope. So this morning, forgive me for going a little long today, but God's placed this on my heart and I can't stop. You know, I don't know what your sin may look like. I don't know what it would be called. I don't know if you have labeled yourself as a cheater, as a, as a thief. But I know my God has labeled you as valuable and worth it. Valuable and worth Jesus leaving heaven and dying on a cross and raising from the dead simply so that you and I can have life and have it more abundantly. So maybe today you've been dealing with something. Maybe this past week. Hey, can I tell you something? Don't be fooled to think, well, you're a pastor. You don't deal with this stuff. I was tempted this week. Can I just throw it out here? We had two signs fall down over at the worship, over at the youth building. Two handicap signs. I saw them one day when I was leaving, and knowing that we're a voting precinct, one of the requirements is you have to have these handicap signs on a sign. And I went over and looked at them. Oh, I just need some zip ties. Just need two zip ties. That's all I need. I was at football practice that night, and lo and behold, right in front of me was a big old bag filled with zip ties. And you know what I was tempted? You know what my thought was? I can take two of these. Nobody will miss them. Nobody will even know. This is simple, it's convenient, and it's easy. I can take two, stick them in my pocket, fix them. I mean, I'm doing it for the Lord. But as soon as that came into my mind, you know what I said? I said, no way. No way will I compromise in this moment the integrity God's called me to. I will go home. I will just have to remember to get two zip ties out of my own toolbox and bring it and fix it. I want you to know that's what I did. But don't think that because, you, oh, you're the pastor. You're always in the Bible. You don't get tempted. I was tempted. You say, well, that's a little thing. It would have been sin. So don't compartmentalize your sin as it's no big deal. Nobody knows. I can cheat on the paperwork a little bit. I can cheat a little bit here and there. It'll benefit me. No, it will not. It will hurt you, your family. It'll hurt this church. It'll hurt our nation. So what do you do if you find yourself dealing with a secret sin? You're dealing with sin in your life and you want to be set free. Here's what you need to do first and foremost. Confess my sin. That's what Achan did in verse 20. He said, I have sinned against the Lord and the God of Israel. He simply confessed, I've sinned. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. 1 John simply said, if we confess our sins, it begins with confession, 
And it simply said, He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some of it, but all of it. Now, this ain't about consequences. This is about the sin in our life and cleansing our soul. So see, the first thing you have to do starts here again. Temptation and sin begins with our eyes and our head, our mind, our ears. You have to know and understand, I've messed up. Now I'm going to confess it. I have messed up. Confess your sins. Starts with the head. Where does it go next? To the heart. It has to do with purpose. It has to do with resolve. It has to do with mission. Strengthen my resolve for holiness. God said, be holy for I am holy. He said that if you look at a woman and lust after her, you have already committed adultery. His standard is not the culture's. His standard is the one by which our our life is grounded. And there is no cultural relevance when it comes to the scriptures. What it says, it says, and that's it. We can't measure it by our, our emotions or how guilty we feel. We confess our sins and we strengthen our resolve to be holy. It's conviction. It's purpose. Thomas A. Kempis said this again. Again, he said something that's just powerful. The beginning of all temptation lies in a wavering mind and little trust in God. For as a rudderless ship is driven hither and yon by waves, so a careless and irresolute, it's a tough word for this Delanaga boy, In other words, a man that has no resolution of purpose is tempted in many ways. Today is the day to set the resolution in your life and mission and purpose to live a holy life as God has called you to. And not to accept the standard of others. And the third one is this, to live accordingly. To live accordingly to what His Word has declared and your Purpose, your resolve of holiness. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can he? How can we find victory? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commands. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Let me tell you the problem. We treasure sin in our heart much more than we treasure the word of God. When God's word becomes a treasure in our hearts, sin becomes less of an issue. Here's your challenge this week. It comes from Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24, if you want to write that down. I want you to ask daily this question. Ask it to God this week, every day, every morning. This will only take you a second, but it may change your life. What sin is standing in the way of our relationship, Lord? What sin is standing in the way? Show me so we, I want you to notice that word, we can deal with it. Don't try to deal with it on your own. Don't try to think you can fix it. It's only through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that you can overcome temptation and overcome sin. So today, hear me clearly say, this isn't about you becoming a better person. And living your best life now. It's about you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ in His way and letting Him change you. But being bold enough, man enough, woman enough to say, God, show me the sin that's hindering our relationship. And now, let's deal with it together. Gina and Larry are going to come and we're going to do something I haven't done in a while. We're going to have an altar call today. So I know I've gone late. I don't even know what time it is. It's 12.15. But this is a message God laid on my heart. And I am not up here to entertain you or to impress you. If you're at home and you're still watching, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, take this serious. Don't brush this off if you're listening to this message. If God's revealed something to you in your heart, you need to deal with it. Let me quote what God said. Get up and do something about it. Rise up. Don't wait for God to just make it easy and just go away. God, would you just take this desire away? God's looking at you and going, really? Do you want to be a man or do you want to be a mouse? (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm not God. You better be glad I'm not God sometimes. 
But I want our deacons and anyone else who feels led to come down here to pray with people to come. Maybe you need to come right now and pray yourself so that you can pray for others. But this morning, if there's something in your life you need prayer for, if there's a sin going on in your life, rise up and do something about it now. Come forward. Just say, hey, I'm I'm here to confess a sin. You don't have to tell us what it is. You taking the step, you saying those words is a confession before Lord God Almighty. I have messed up and I'm here to do something about it. I'm not talking about you coming up here and telling us all about your business this morning. I'm talking about you coming up here and doing business with the King to say, God, I am here to confess and to tell you, you are Lord and I'm doing it your way. Would you stand right now? Everybody just stand. If you're at home, bow your head as we bow our heads here in this room. Bow your head and close your eyes because right now you need to do business with the Lord. I want you to know you're not alone. You're not the only person that's dealing with a sin or a temptation. You're not alone. You are not a disappointment to God. You're a precious child to Him. Right now, if you need to come forward, if you need to kneel, if you need to pray, you do that. We're going to sing. Right as I get done praying and I say amen, Larry's going to sing. And you have an opportunity to come forward right now. Or just maybe online, you, you can hit that button, request prayer, or raise your hand. Do something so that you make a commitment. God told Joshua, get up and do something. Do something this morning or you'll never find victory. Father, right now we pray for your Holy Spirit to convict hearts, to change minds, and to change lives, to change families. Because, Lord, we're going to deal with sin. We're going to consecrate ourselves before you. We're going to come and confess and ask that you take over and you become the standard for our life. For, God, you will never move. You will never bless this church. You'll never bless this nation until we deal with sin. Lord, right now, move on our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.